Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, May 14th, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you in these interesting times. You know, this goal, the goal of this show is to help navigate you through your investment journey and help you become a better investor. And in the good times, it's easy. The good times, unfortunately, though, you don't learn a whole lot. In times like this, you learn. You learn what risks there are in the markets. And most people don't understand that. They don't, they, they, don't think that they're taking a certain level of risk because they didn't feel it. If you buy stocks and they went up 20% in a particular year, does that mean you didn't take risk in that year? No, you took the risk. You still were exposed to the risk. And a lot of people don't understand that is they're colored by their recent past and they extrapolate that out into the future. And what you have to understand is easy come, easy go. Everything is a cycle. And you can use that cycle to your advantage or you can be a victim of that cycle. And my goal is for you to be the one that's taking advantage, not being taken advantage of. Most retail investors, they're taken advantage of by the institutions because the institutions have a process, they have a system, they have a strategy and they execute it over time. That's Warren Buffett, right? Warren Buffett has a process and a strategy. And he knows that when times get tough, that's when you ramp up the aggressiveness, aggressiveness, the strategy and you execute. Fortunately, most investors, they listen to the media, you know, they're watching 
TV and they see headlines of markets moving this way and, and fear mongering, which always sells ads and sells clicks, but ultimately doesn't lead you to a good way of thinking about investing. But unfortunately, that's just the way most people are. It's in our human nature to be drawn towards fear and greed. And so this hour, I'm going to do my best to continue to instill steel nerves. And it's not to say that you don't, that you ignore volatility. No, you have to take a new, take it into account but into account in regards to your full strategy. What type of risks are you comfortable taking? And are you taking too much of them? Or are you taking too little of them? And trying to weed out the emotions. I know that can be difficult. It's the hardest thing for the average person to do. In times like this, where things are changing, and there isn't a familiarity to the way the market is moving. For example, the tenure over the last two days is up nearly 50 basis points. When the stock market is down, that is a different environment. Something most people are not used to. And when you're not used to something and you don't, you're not comfortable, emotions take over. So hopefully on this show and podcast, I'm going to help guide you through the current market environment and help you avoid the pitfalls of volatility. So I invite your phone calls and questions right now during our live program from four to five Pacific time or after hours on our toll free line, you can call 888-9899 chart is the number either way. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hey, enjoy the show. Thanks for what y'all do. Uh, I want to get your thoughts and opinions on investing in market neutral funds, especially at a time like this, where there's a lot of volatility in the market, a lot of headwinds going forward that y'all touched on on your show. Just general thoughts on market neutral funds, specifically one that I'm looking at is Vanguard, VMNFX. Seems like it's done pretty well so far this year. Definitely has a higher expense ratio than traditional funds, but seems lower than some of the other ones I've seen for neutral funds. And then lastly, if you do think it's a good strategy, what percentage of your portfolio do you think is appropriate? Thanks. Look forward to hearing the response. Well, this is a fund that has pretty high expense ratio, about 1.3%. It's pretty high. But it clearly is doing well in these volatile times. And... I have to look deeper into its strategy. So I'd have to really, under, really understand the type of companies that's short, going short and then that are going long. Uh, but in general, market neutral funds long term, it's not something you want to hold long term. But in volatile times like this, they can often be a good place to be, especially if the strategy is shorting the out of favor areas and going long the in favor areas of the market. And right now they have about 525 different equities. Let's see what they're overweight here. 
Yeah, see, these are tough because it's they have longs and shorts. They're kind of all over the place. Uh, now it's doing well. So clearly, the stocks that they are shorting are doing worse than the stocks that they are uh, they are owning going long. Uh, let's look at the performance so far this year. I'm just pulling this up here. Come on, there we go. Yeah, so year to date up nine point seven percent. Last year is up 23%. So it did fairly well in this type of environment. 2020 lost 11%, 2019 lost nine and a half percent. So clearly it's a value type of a approach here. They're, they're owning value, they're shorting growth and that's working right now. And I think that's gonna work for a while. Um, so having a portion of your portfolio in this, not a bad idea to kind of lower your overall volatility of, a, of your portfolio. You're gonna still have risk here because suddenly their stocks they own, they they short could be in favor again for a short period of time now what percentage of your portfolio should it be i can't really tell you that without understanding what else you're owning what your long-term strategy is etc but it's one thing i wouldn't own for an extended period of time talking you know a decade plus now we're moving into a break my invest talk phone lines are open at 888 chart Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. We're going to go talk to Tom. He's in Kentucky. He wants to talk about Adidas. Hey, Justin, I was just wondering, I'd called a few weeks ago and it was around 90 and then shot back up to 100 and now had a pretty hard fall since yesterday. Where do you find this attractive if you like the stock at all? Well, Adidas is a very good brand, kind of a duopoly in the sports world when it comes to Nike and Adidas. Uh, clearly, Adidas is going to be more exposed to the European market, and I think that's the issue here, is that Europe is having a tougher time with their economy than we are. Not only are their businesses less dynamic, but their energy prices are a lot higher than ours. So you think our gas is expensive? Well, their electric bills are sky high. And that 
feeds into industry and the broader economy. So it's not a name that I would want to be long right now. But at the right price, it starts getting interesting. Now it's getting close to that. But I think the, the major support level is around $65. Now it's at $85. So I still, still think there's a ways to go. And I wouldn't want huge exposure to, you know, the euro, uh, for example, in this tightening environment where we're tightening faster than the ECB, for example. So good company to have on the radar, but terrible backdrop to own something like this. And I wouldn't touch it till 65. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on this headline, the best states for business activities. Now, fixing the broken domestic supply chain is a national priority due to inflation, and states are competing to lead the way. And entrepreneurs will be interested in how this plays out for different uh, different states. So we're going to look at these rankings, and I think they're very interesting. And there's some ones at the top that you would not expect. A lot of people think Texas, and Texas is in the top five. But there are some interesting ones in the top five as well. So we're going to look at that. And then Fed meeting tomorrow. Let's do a little preview, what to expect, and what's, what the market's expecting, and what I'm expecting. And then a recession. What would a recession look like? Would it be like 08? Because that's what most people think. They think of recession and they go to the last recession that they've dealt with. But guess what? Recessions usually are very different. Different causes, different pain points, different impacts on asset prices, individuals, sectors, etc. So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, a little bit touching on what uh, I was speaking about with Adidas is the European economy and how they're dealing with higher energy prices. Let's take a look at the market today. The S&P was down 14 points. Frankly, a pause day after yesterday's or the last really three days of carnage in the markets. You know, the S&P is down about 10% in three days. And that's on the back of, once again, the inflation figures. And a change in expectation of where Fed policy is going in this meeting tomorrow and for the rest of the year. There's now 10 more rate hikes priced in for the rest of the year. How realistic is that? I don't really think very realistic, but the market is reacting to it. The NYSE down 83 points, so modest down day there. The Russell, that was... Only down about six points on down to seventeen oh seven, so very very modest down day in small caps. And small caps often lead. Remember that's where most of the risk in the market is in those smaller cap names. And the Nasdaq that was actually up nineteen points, which was very interesting considering the ten year surged to almost four three and a half. Mortgage rates north of six now. So little tell there that this to me, I actually think, well, I'll get to it in a little bit, what I think is going to happen tomorrow.
Now, Steve and I are thankful for your podcast support and our free downloads will continue, but I want to make you aware of some other ways to find our unbiased guidance, our YouTube channel, as well as our Instagram account as well. Just head over there and search for Invest Talk. Remember, use two T's. Now, the Invest Talk phone lines are open, so give me a call now at 888 chart Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today is based on this headline, the best states for business activities. And this is especially important in times like this where we are reindustrializing our country at a very fast clip. Something very, very under discussed in the media. Everyone, it's not very exciting. It's not interesting, but it's happening. And, you know, fear typically wins out. Optimism about the economy doesn't get as much, it doesn't, doesn't create much pizzazz and excitement from readers. Just go look at MSNBC, CNBC, uh, no, obviously CNBC, uh, Forbes, they always have like the top articles. They're usually articles that are scarier as opposed to optimistic. But, you know, we're this, the country is changing in a big way, demographically, as well as culturally, as well as from a business perspective. And a lot of, con- a lot of states are trying to be more attractive to uh, attract big business and bringing those factories overseas. The only reason we produce much in China today is because we have a sunk cost of all those factories that are built over there. But any, any business that is building new production lines, it's more makes a lot more sense in almost every category to do it in North America, whether that's Mexico or here in the US. So what states are going to get the most investment dollars and have the best economic growth is going to be vital over the next 10 years to real estate values and just your livelihood and maybe your career. Now, everyone thinks of states that have are that are friendly for business as Texas and Texas is top four on this list. And this is from CNBC. And they weighed how frequently states use these different things in selling points in the economic development material and their uh, policy, you know, they consulted with policy experts and businesses and ranked each state based on cost of doing business, infrastructure, life, health and inclusion, workforce, economy, business friendliness and access to capital. Number one, Virginia, they worked very, they, they ranked very high in workforce. So uh, educated workforce, uh, a lot of people that are in the workforce, willing to work, etc. North Carolina was number two. They had one of the strongest economy, the fourth strongest economy in the in the country, along with a very strong workforce. Utah was number three. Their infrastructure was ranked number seventh in the country, and economy overall number three. Texas was fourth. They had the number one workforce in the country. Just the complexity of their their workforce, the Silicon Valley uh, entrepreneurs moving there, as well as 
your oil and gas expertise in that state definitely help them. And they're also fifth in the economy and third in access to capital. So a lot of money flowing into Texas. Number five, Tennessee. I am actually seeing a lot of people moving to Tennessee. Economy ranked number two, infrastructure ranked number four. So these were all very interesting. Ohio was about 10. That had the best cost of, or second best cost of doing business. Number one was Oklahoma. Cheap energy. Cheap energy. That makes a lot of sense. Now, what were the best uh, states with cost of capital? New York and California. Clearly, those were New York, California, Texas, top three. And then business friendliness. Which states had the, uh, the, were the friendliest to businesses? Idaho was number two. North Carolina, number three. And number one was South Dakota. Very interesting. And then lastly, infrastructure. Illinois, number one. Indiana, number three. And let's see, who's number two? Where's number two? It's on here somewhere. There it is. Nevada. Interesting. So just shows you infrastructure is very important, especially when you're building new factories, new facilities to house workers, to just do business in general, having good access to freeways and roads and airports, et cetera, all that thing, all that stuff is vital to making sure your business runs effectively and, and smoothly. So I thought this was a very interesting study. You can find the link over on investtalk.com. And I always, I, these, these rankings change, but in a world where we're having an economic boom in reshoring. And frankly, this started under Obama, it continued under Trump, especially with tax cuts, that certainly helped. And then even under even under Biden, even with a strong dollar, what's happening geopolitically is bringing a lot of investment back home. And, you know, we, we have a good demographic, we have a pretty good education system, and that's helping our businesses. Let's go to Noel in Napa. Oh, actually, we're going to go to a break. And on the, best, on the next Invest Talk, this story. What to expect from the Fed's quantitative tightening. The financial system is unfathomably complex and preparing for every scenario is impossible as the Fed embarks on the most ambitious QT program to date. Steve will get to that tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein and I'm ready to take your questions live. 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. 
so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Go to Noel in Napa. He wants to talk about oil and gas. Yeah, before I get there, I, I suspect you were tuned in last night to the Warriors versus the Celtics, I would imagine. <laughs> I, I was, yes. Yeah, that was spectacular. But anyhow. Uh, <laughs> Great yeah, game. I, 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 listening to the uh, you often, uh, Justin, I, I think you favor, is it correct that you favor natural gas over oil? But I know you like them both, but it's, you, you uh, prefer the natural gas, is it? Yeah, I mean, I just think there's, uh, it, it tends to, the price of it tends to go up, it's harder to move. So if you mm -hmm. can actually source it locally uh, and deliver it, then you can fetch a higher price than crude, which oftentimes is, you know, if, if, if somebody wants it, you have less bargaining power because some, they can import it from around the world. Whereas natural gas, it's a lot mm -hmm. more difficult. And then yeah. just the, the the penchant towards away from coal and lack of uh, uh, support for coal for for our um, our energy grid, et cetera. It, it just 
it, it, there's a much higher demand worldwide, regionally, et cetera, and growth from the natural gas space. Um, and in yeah. most places, it's still cheaper than, than, than oil. So, yeah, I like natural yeah. gas better. So I was, uh, anyway, I, I have a, a long-term position in ExxonMobil, or a long-term capital gain, a little over 100%. And I was mm-hmm. wondering what you thought of this idea. I was, I was thinking of selling uh, XOM and uh, going into a natural gas ETF or some natural gas companies outright. And you'd probably uh, prefer the natural gas companies as opposed to a natural gas ETF, I would imagine. Yeah, that's my main question today. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely would rather own the natural gas companies. Now, what you have to understand, though, is Exxon, with their purchase of XTO Energy, years ago, they have a huge natural gas footprint. Now, as a percentage of overall revenue, is it higher than some of the other big companies that also have natural gas exposure? No, but they do have significant exposure there. And they're more diversified than your kind of pure play natural gas producer, right? They have uh, refining capacity, they have petrochemical businesses. So those all kind of ebb and flow creates a very diverse set of businesses that they have. And when one kind of takes a step back, oftentimes another takes a step forward. So Exxon is one of the lower risk oil companies in the world because of that diversity uh, of business types, as well as geographically. They have all over the world. Okay. So those are things that you have to take into account. I still, I like Exxon. Do I like natural gas better? Yes. Um, but it all depends on your risk level. And then also, remember, it's not one or the other. Maybe it's trimming Exxon and buying some, some natural gas as well. Maybe not getting rid of it completely. So that's the way I would think about your exposure. And yes, natural gas over oil in general. Thank you, Justin. No problem. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Noel. Now, when people take the time to leave their Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their question quickly. The Puma 51 says, how do you guys feel about the ETF GNR, GNR, as a passive two to five year play? Might be a decent buy point. I don't have a lot of energy and materials exposure, so I wonder if you like this. So this is the S&P Global Natural Resource ETF. And I'm gonna say, I like it. I like natural resources in this environment. Now it's taking a step back because certainly they have exposure to more than just oil and gas. Shell is their largest, second largest holding. But BHP is number one, nutrient uh, fertilizer. Uh, Maker, 4.5%. Exxon is at 4 Chevron is 3% of the total. So those are t- top five holdings right there. But you get a nice broad diversity, about 34% energy, 52% basic materials, 5% consumer defensive, 6% consumer cyclical. So I, I like this overall. Those are all areas overall that I think you should be overweight, especially basic materials and energy. And you're getting that broad base here. And you're saying you don't have a lot of exposure. Well, this is kind of a one-stop shop that gives you that broad diversification. Okay. Now let's pivot to the Fed meeting tomorrow. And it's starting to become more and more apparent. And futures markets are pricing it in. 
and you can just read what's happened with the tenure. The tenure has moved 50 basis points in three days. And it's pricing in now that the Fed is going to raise not just 50 basis points tomorrow, but 75 basis points. And this is all in, in reaction to the inflation report that came out for the month of May, 8.6% increase in CPI. It's a 40-year high. And Powell said recently in some interviews, they said, quote, what we need it need to see is clear and convincing evidence that inflation pressures are abating and inflation is coming down. And if we don't see that, then we'll have to consider moving more aggressively, end quote. He also said, quote, we therefore will need to be nimble in responding to incoming data and the evolving outlook, end quote. And so what that means is here's evolving data. We're nimble. We're not stuck on 50 basis points. We're going to go 75. And it's pretty clear that that's what they are going to do. They've, you know, they, they let the market know. Now, the question now isn't the 75 basis points because it's now been priced in to the bond market, clearly to the equity markets, even the crypto markets. It's about forward guidance. Still is. So this is a good example of the Fed can shift market expectations and it will price it in rapidly. That's what I always tell people that the market prices these headline events in well beforehand. As soon as the it's clear and after the inflation figures and clearly some leaking to the powers that be the shift in the, the rates market has priced this in. So the question is, will this be a sell the rumor, buy the news type of event? And will it be a dovish pivot? Or dovish hike, excuse me. I think that's probably what we're going to get. You're starting to see a few things break uh, over the past few days. But the market or the Fed does not want to disappoint the market. They don't want to surprise the market. So they're probably going to do 75 basis points. But then what is the future policy path going to look like? 50 basis points still priced in for next month as well, late next month. Then they have a break basically until September. There's a lot of economic news that could come out. And frankly, the inflation figures, if you look at them, they have peaked. They have. Now, they're still elevated, but they've peaked. Are they going to be slow to come down? Probably. But mortgage rates at north of six now, six and a quarter, certainly going to slow the housing market in a big way. Slow rent increases. And remember, this is private equity pal. He does not want to break things and create other problems. So while the probability of a 90% is 90% that there's a 75 basis point hike tomorrow, I think there's a better than 50% chance that they hint at pausing at some point late in the year. 
to assess what all this is doing. QT, 25, 50, and then 75 basis point hikes, probably another 50 or 75 next month. Then what? So don't get too caught up in the headlines because it's all about what the Fed says tomorrow beyond just a 75 basis point hike. Let's go to Bill in Petaluma and let's talk about the market. Hi, uh, Justin. I appreciate uh, all the insights you provide. And uh, I know this is premature, but I'd like to ask you what uh, indicators I might uh, begin to follow that would indicate a market bottom. And I'm, I'm not being optimistic or anything. I'm just just so I can start looking at them. I was thinking the VIX would be one at around 40 and staying there, and heavy down volume all the time, P ratios overall, uh, under, understanding them uh, about 15 or lower, uh, use of words like capitulate. Uh, anyway, yeah. I so, I, I, so it definitely I wouldn't be P, per- P ratios. Yeah. P ratios are not going to tell you the market's bottom. Never use that. So throw that out the window. Uh, sentiment will definitely peak. We are starting to see some signs of peak negative sentiment. And, you know, we're getting some calls from clients, very few, because we're killing the the, the market in in relative terms. Um, But, you know, still down a little on the year. People don't like that. So we get calls. And, you know, it's, it's an indication of that sentiment. And oftentimes that does mark market bottoms, but not the only thing. Volume, high volume reversals is really what I'm looking for. Okay. To show that, hey, the market's done. Um, another thing that often marks uh, short term bottoms is when the market goes up on bad news. Okay. And that goes for any stock in general, but the market as a whole. Um, and then shifts in Fed policy indications. The market will move on that. You'll, you'll know that the Fed has indicated some sort of shift in policy because you'll get likely that high volume reversal. So where does it ultimately bottom? I did think it does bottom this summer. What ultimate level? Not quite sure yet, but never use P ratios. Let's go to Gary in San Jose looking at TBR. Hi, Justin. So um, I know PBR is still up a lot for this year, but it's got a very low P uh, PE ratio and also at a pretty good dividend. So what do you think? I have a small position have been avoiding adding a lot to it, but what do you think of it right now? Well, here's the issue with PBR. Sorry, it was PBR, Petrobras. This is the largest Brazilian oil and gas company. It's kind of the Exxon of Brazil. Problem with this is geopolitical or just political in general. Petrobras is domiciled in Brazil and Brazil is known to enact policies where they just uh, confiscate assets confiscate profits, etc. And that's why you're paying such a cheap price for Petrobras. If you look at its, you know, earnings yield and its and its uh, multiples that it's trading at, 
it's going to trade at a large discount to a lot of the other oil companies. Currently, price to sales ratio is under one. Enterprise value to EBIT is under two. So based on those figures, it's extremely cheap. But once again, you have geopolitical risk, you have currency risk with the dollar getting stronger in relation to the Brazilian real and most other currencies, for example. And so those things you have to take into account. In, so do they sell much into the open market or is it primarily for domestic? Um, it, I have to look at what the, the mix is, but the political risk is irrelevant where they sell their, their products. Well, if they're selling them into the uh, country of Brazil, I'm assuming that there's more political risk as far as, okay, we want to keep um, oil cheap for our citizens. But if they're looking at selling in the open market, then the price can be up there. Well, just like here, the government can ban exports, right? So you're right. That's, that is a risk. Um, but they can also confiscate profits when you have a more socialist government, which I think, uh, if I remember right, they just recently elected. So just understand that when you're investing in these type of names, that there is that possibility. Just look at Russia. Right, for many years, Russia, Russian stocks were cheap, very, very cheap. And you would say as a bargain based on their earnings. But as you've seen of late, you never know when that geopolitical risk is going to rear its ugly head. Now, do I think there's less geopolitical risk for Petrobras in Brazil than a lot of Asian or European countries? Yes. But there's still political risk internally, right? So there's geopolitical and then there's political risk internally. And I think Brazil, based on its history, has shown that you have to be very careful and understand you don't get over your skis in something like Petrobras because at any moment, the government can pass something that takes takes the assets away, takes the cash flow away, takes the earnings away, and you no longer get your dividend. You no longer even own your assets. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you reach your own version of financial freedom. When we continue with that goal after the break at 888 chart This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Duncan from New York, proud student of InvestTalk. Thank you for everything that you do. I got a quick question on a news report that just came out. Seems like the Biden administration is putting a tax tariff on hold for incoming solar panels from China. My question is, how would that affect 
the renewable energy system in the U.S. and specifically stock ticker FSLR for solar. I have that. I've learned that the P.E. ratio is obviously a lot higher than, you know, what should be expected. I think it's around 38. So just want to know your thoughts about that news and about that stock, how it affected. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Well, this is a good example of how our politicians now are managing towards optics more than outcomes. Because if you understand our energy issues globally, domestically, you will know that this isn't this energy problem isn't because of lack of investment in clean energy. It's not can't, there's no way to argue it. Why? Because first off, we've been investing a lot already. We're deploying records amount each year. But the infrastructure, the manufacturing infrastructure is just simply not there to get to a level where we can just not use fossil fuels. And it won't be for a long period of time. And frankly, we may never get there because the complexity of a solar panel or a wind turbine is infinitely more complex than an oil and gas rig. And it needs a lot more diverse set of materials from copper to steel to rare earth minerals, battery inputs, etc. And what, what has happened over the past few decades is, yes, solar panel prices have come down, but that's because China is using very dirty production methods. And so, and, and they've been had, they've had clean, they've had access to cheap coal in order to power their facilities to make these solar panels. And what's happening now is the price of them is reversing because China's shutting down those factories. They don't have the cheap energy anymore. And so this is simply a hope and a prayer. It's not going to work. We need to invest in, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, the only way to bring down energy prices is to invest in oil and gas production or nuclear. It's the only thing that's going to truly bring the price of energy down over the next five to 10 years, whether you like it or not. Hopes and dreams of a clean future. I would love for all of our energy to be renewable. But the reality on the ground is just don't have the infrastructure for it. We don't have the minerals the raw materials for it. The amount of copper and lithium and steel, which is a very energy intensive business. It's just not there. So while it sounds great, this isn't really going to help drive any more solar infrastructure projects. It's not going to make them 
infinitely more cheaper because the raw costs of them are going up. And so we might help at the margin, but the trend is now going the other way. So I wouldn't own for solar. And frankly, I don't love the solar space in general right now. So I'd sell it. This is InvestTalk. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which have now exceeded over 42 million thanks to you. You can get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Independent thinking showed success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.